This episode is supported by Bento Box and Clover. There's no doubt that running a restaurant is a lot of hard work. Fortunately, Bento Box and Clover are now working together to provide restaurants with the technology they need. Bento Box is an all-in-one platform for websites, online ordering, and marketing tools, while Clover provides world-class point-of-sale and payment solutions. Integrating the two helps restaurants streamline operations and deliver an even better guest experience. Bento Box and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com forward slash better for more info. The beverage business is rapidly changing and drive through coffee concepts like Scooter's Coffee are right in the middle of it. Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with Joe Thornton, the President of Scooter's. Scooter's has quietly been one of the fastest-growing restaurant chains in the United States. System sales and unit count have nearly tripled over the past five years, according to RB sister company Technomic. The company has nearly 500 locations. Joe talks about that growth and what has been key to the business. He talks about the brand's franchising model and its focus on drive through coffee kiosks, which sell a selection of beverages and food from 600-square-foot shops. Joe talks about the brand's real estate strategy and where the company fits in a rapidly changing and shifting beverage business. We're talking drive through coffee this week on A Deeper Dive, so please have a listen. All right, I'm here with Joe Thornton. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. It's great to be here. All right. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Scooters. Well, Jonathan, I've had a a pretty amazing journey in retail, 38 years, and worked for some of the biggest brands, uh, Blockbuster for 14 years. Remember that one? Uh And uh, then 11 years at Starbucks. So know a little bit about coffee and the business. But then was COO for Jamba Juice and also HMS host that runs airport restaurants. And so I came to Scooters three months ago, actually, uh, as the president of the company, a new position as they continue to grow out the brand. And frankly, the first thing that attracted me to it was the growth story of the of the brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been it's uh, it's pretty, pretty impressive growth story. What do you think is driving that? Well, you know, the the quick headlines talking uh, with uh, Don Eccles, the co-founder and Ty Gravy, the current CEO, we uh, spent some time together a few months ago and, you know, they made a decision and a very intentional decision a few years ago at about 137 stores that they set a goal to grow to a thousand stores. And, you know, as they tell the story, there is a little bit of a collective eye roll, like, really, you know, how are we going to do that? And <laughs> fast forward, obviously, they laid plans for it. They started to open 50 stores a year and then it was 100. And then this year, We'll double up on that. And so as we said here today, we're at about 490 stores open and we have a clear path to a thousand locations in early 2024. So part of it was just the intentionality to say, you know what, we have something that works, the the model itself. And to your point, the changing environment of this industry, there's something about being in the drive-through business that's pretty darn good at the moment. And being in a drive-through kiosk is even more intentional or what people are kind of asking for and how they're behaving today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're, you, I, I think a thousand units probably pretty easy at this particular point. I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, easy is a relative term, I might note. But uh, I mean, there is uh, a pretty substantial demand for, for drive through coffee 
right now, or just drive through beverages, period, I think, yeah. where, I mean, I, and it's just fascinating to me mm-hmm. that that entire coffee business appears to be very rapidly shifting towards not getting out of your car. Yeah. Well, I, I do think there's been a shift. And in, in fact, being in the airport business uh, the last two and a half years before coming to Scooters, kind of had a bird's eye view of what was happening on the street, as we will say about the, all the restaurants in, uh, in our communities. And there are really four levers that you saw businesses try to implement as a part of COVID and, and retaining their sales. Catering, delivery, mobile ordering and drive-through and clearly the one that came out as the winner was drive-through because that kind of stretches across all formats all food uh and beverage options uh and it played into the narrative of course of of contactless and touchless type transactions or at least from a face-to-face interaction perspective and so we saw people migrate uh largely to the drive-through and particularly the businesses that had drive-through they seem to to fare much better during uh, COVID. In fact, there's some that coming out of COVID, uh, their stories uh, very well chronicled that they didn't want to reopen their cafes because the drive-through business was so good. I think when you lay that on top of the fact that coffee is such a habitual transaction, people are coming out so often, uh, that really plays into this model. And frankly, we've all tried to make coffee at home. It's just, it isn't the same. Yeah. 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 You know, it's uh, when when people really like their coffee, they're not going to switch to, you know, they're not going to switch to something else. And and so but but you guys have been able to to break through and, and get into consumers habits pretty easily if you got uh, well close to 500 units now. Yeah. Well, a couple of things I'll say, Jonathan, is that the uh, one of the things that's important to us in this model, the drive-through kiosk model, 662-square-foot kiosk, is that uh, because people are coming so often, you have to build confidence. And you build confidence by having speed and delivering on speed. At the most important time of the morning, people are on their way somewhere uh, and usually in a hurry. Uh, that builds loyalty. And we feel like we've done that kind of over and over, particularly where we operate today and now we're starting to expand to, uh, that's a key part of who we are drive through is having that strategy of delivering on speed of service, which builds loyalty. Yeah. Yeah. Speed is super, super important in the morning for particularly for, for breakfast. So tell us a little bit about, tell us a little bit about the franchising strategy. I I assume that your, your typical franchisee is going to operate more than one of these locations. Tell us, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, a couple of things. One, we are primarily franchised. We have a few uh, company-operated locations. In fact, uh, many of them are here in the Omaha market. Uh, but it is a franchise model. And one of the things that I truly think is most exciting, Jonathan, about our model is that it has mostly been built on franchisees that signed up for one store. Really? And then they saw the success and perhaps said, I'll build a second and third or five or ten. There are a few that come into the business with a multi-store development agreement of three or five or or 10. There's a few of those. But largely, even our biggest franchisees were built one store at a time. And that's very different than most models. The other thing that plays into that as we continue to grow is that we've moved outside of metro areas. And some of our stores are in very small towns. And 
just incredible stories of someone might have been the local fireman or teacher or physical therapist and decided they wanted to get into business for themselves. And they researched a lot of different franchise models and landed on Scooter's Coffee. And they opened that store and they're part of the community. It's not the big corporation coming in. It's it's the local person who's done well and, and connected the dots between coffee and community. So we love that part of who our model is. And in fact, I met with a franchise owner recently who started with one and two, and he's up to 13, but has an agreement for 40 and believes that they may expand beyond that someday. So those are really great stories about how the model is truly working and people really believing in it. Is is that uh, no? I assume you take franchisees of all sizes, though. But or do you have a deliberate strategy that you got to start with one first? No, we've not been deliberate. In fact, um, some are um, really excited a, about the opportunity to take. You know, maybe it's a larger market and, and build ten or fifteen or twenty. And and there have been certainly some of those coming in. And uh, but we spend a lot of time with them. We we vet the model. We talk about you know, their aspirations. I mean, this is very personal for most people and therefore it's very personal for us on how they open up in the market. But we think there's room for all sizes. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that small town thing. Is that uh, is is that just sort of your, the, the business's openness or do you have a deliberate strategy to go into these small towns? I think it's been as we evolve, it's probably the best way to describe it. You know, if we started out in Omaha and you start to get to some of the suburbs, but then what if you go beyond that? And so certainly in some of the states um, around Nebraska, we've seen some of that growth. And, you know, then the question is, what is a small town? Is it 20,000, 25? Is it the other way? Is it 15,000? So we're kind of learning that as we grow. But, you know, like any other uh, company that's in this space of coffee, you also look to see where competitors are or not. And we obviously want everyone uh, in America to have an opportunity to have great coffee every morning. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love the idea of going into smaller towns. And I, I, I think it's they're often overlooked. That's of all type. I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of restaurant company you're, you're, you're thinking about. But I, I think they tend to get overlooked very frequently uh you know i mean i i remember talking to one one executive once who 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 uh took me to task for assuming that those markets are not as competitive but you know mm-hmm. it's still you know i <laughs> you know it i just think that a lot of times you're just going to find like just a friendlier environment or at least a more welcoming environment you know in in places like that because they don't necessarily have as many people or, you know, they, you don't have as, as many, like if you have a, an open site, for instance, yeah. in, in the middle of a small town, you're just not going to get that many, you know, you're not going to have like five or six different real estate agents looking at that to, to put a, a restaurant in, but you know, you're, and you're going to have just a, probably a little bit more of a welcoming environment. And plus, I think, I mean, to your point, I mean, I think a lot of times the community is just really happy you're there. Yeah. You're spot on, Jonathan. I, I can tell you going all the way back to a few business models that go to the blockbuster days that people would feel like they made it, you know, like their town was on the map when they had a blockbuster video open. And so, you know, the mayor's there, you're doing a ribbon cutting and you don't even have to market in some of those towns because everybody knows you're coming. <laughs> you know, it's kind of big news. And so I do think there's something to that. And 
I think every part of the QSR business or retail or restaurant in general has had to figure that out. I mean, think about 30 years ago when McDonald's went with an intentionality into small town America. And, you know, many places today you can drive through, there's only a couple stores and a couple lights and wow, there's a, there's a McDonald's there. So I think there is something we'll continue to learn as we go along. That being said, you know, as Scooter's Coffee has grown and starting in Nebraska and going to surrounding states, you know, we're in 27 states today, so which means there's 23 we're not in and there's plenty of opportunities, um, whether it's looking at small town or ge- just new geography as I think part of our, our growth opportunity. Mm-hmm. But think about getting back to the McDonald's. You mentioned McDonald's, but think about think about McDonald's like you, 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 I assume you take a lot of road trips. You know, how many McDonald's do you pass? Along yeah, the they're way? everywhere. How many times you pass just like right around the freeway? And it just like the thing is, is like you never have to think about like I, I don't have to, you know, when I'm taking a road trip, I don't have to have my wife. All right. Tell me where the nearest McDonald's is, because, you know, it's going to be up there a few times. <laughs> but it's just. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, there are, and I spe- imagine, especially that's why one of the reasons I think drive through coffee in small towns, because then you could place them well in, in many yeah. different spots. Yeah. And Jonathan, we're excited about our growth. I mean, we operate uh, with four core values. You may have seen integrity, love, humility, and courage. And we're excited about our growth, but we're very humble about it as well. And we recognize that we're in this place where we have a model that works that happens to be at the right time in the right place. Uh, but every opening though, we want it to be meaningful. You know, we could probably be ubiquitous and say grow to 5,000 stores, but you know, lose a little bit of our heart and soul along the way. So we really want to be intentional. And to your point, small towns have been successful in the ones that we've done because they're, they're filled with heart. They just, mm-hmm. they just are. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the brand's history. I assume you've got a little bit of that by now. Yeah, so 24 and a half years uh, in business. And as Don Eccles, the co-founder, and his wife, Linda, would talk about the very first store they opened in in Bellevue, Nebraska. Um, You know, they didn't do very much in sales and they went through a lot of hardships and went bankrupt a couple times and, you know, finally figured out how to to break through here in Omaha and build a few and then build a few more stores and really unlocked franchising and let other people in. And some of it was family and friends initially, Uh, but people that have stayed with the brand, um, you know, meeting with the franchise owner tomorrow that's been 18 years in the brand and he's built up a nice portfolio and really generational wealth for his family as they've grown their part of the brand so that's, again, what's really amazing about it. And again, at the time that Scooter's Coffee started, people weren't really doing drive through coffee and they certainly weren't doing drive through coffee kiosk. You know, so uh, there's a couple people, as Don would share, kind of say, get out of here when he's asking for, you know, financing to build this kiosk. But as all good entrepreneurs, he stayed steadfast on his dream and his belief in it. And when you start getting some momentum, you can start to see it just continue to build. And that's kind of how the, the brand is, has evolved over time. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I assume these are relatively low cost to open or how does uh, how do the economics work? Yeah, you know, the cost of the model has certainly been challenged like any other brand just because of the headwinds of things that you can't control. 
But I will say our teams have done a good job of controlling what we can control. And part of it is not deviating from the model. You know, we talk all the time about brands that stray to complexity, particularly as they grow. They started out simple, but they decided a couple more menu items and a couple more parts of the business like a catering or delivery service. And then they want to make the model just a little bit bigger uh, to accommodate all the things that they keep adding. And so you extrapolate that over time and then you become unrecognizable. And I think part of the success for scooters is we feel strongly about the 662 square foot kiosk and we don't build coffee houses or cafes uh, we don't necessarily build on in caps or co-tenancy. We just really focus on building our kiosk with very few exceptions. And that keeps the cost consistent. Yeah. Are you able to find drive-through sites now? How's the real estate environment? You know, real estate is ever-changing, of course, especially during COVID, but it's not impossible. Uh, and part of that is to, the, again, this model, which we can build on a half acre, and that's uh, much smaller than most people can look for their footprint. So uh, it's a little bit of a different strategy than what most people are dealing with in terms of real estate. That being said, because we are at a stage where we're growing into new markets, we believe there's always going to be real estate opportunities out there. Not to mention, as you know, even a market like Omaha, we've continued to build new markets, even though uh, we have quite a bit of presence here. Uh, I think that speaks a lot to our development team and just continue to say, what's the best real estate? Because the best real estate is really what unlocks anyone's business model. I think uh, if you talk to real estate professionals, they'll say when you take C sites, C locations, you get C sales volumes. Mm -hmm. And we're focused on getting real uh, good real estate with our franchisees. All right. Since you're 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 pretty well experienced at this, then you know going back years, how does the, the thinking on on real estate for uh, a, a drive-through kiosk like the one you guys you guys operate, how does that differ from you know like say even if you were to do a full-size drive-through type location or something like that? I mean, is it easier to find those things? Because we I hear this. A lot, a lot of a lot. I mean, a remarkable number of companies right now are trying to open drive-through only type units, including a number of kiosks. A lot of people view this as a as a potential open market. And I can kind of see how that would be because the the sites you're talking about are pretty small, you know, and can go into any number of areas. But I, you know, so I mean, is there is it or is it thinking differently, or is just that a lot of those types of sites out there, or what? Yeah, you know, a few things that will always be important, you know, visibility, access, traffic patterns. I mean, no matter what model you're, you're building. Uh, but there is something about the stacking and the queuing and those things that certainly elevate uh, if you're building a drive the only kiosk. But I think often the visibility of finding a site is just different because of the size, again, of the square footage that we need. Um, for the pad site. And, um, you know, it probably means people are dividing up uh, real estate in different ways than what they did in the past. But often, I think when you go into market, you say, where do you want to be? What is the best real estate? And it could be that someone else is there today, by the way. And it's having that, that, that discussion, the right conversation to get the right real estate. And to your point earlier, we do see a lot of other people moving into the space and looking to do drive the only kiosk. And I think the most important thing to remember in this segment of the business is you have to deliver on speed of service because that's 
the indicator by which people will make a decision to get into the line or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they can tolerate a long line if they know that they're going to get through it quick. more yeah. quickly. Yeah. But I mean, on, on, on real estate, I, I will say that from my vantage point, I see some sites that have been broken up awful. Some, I, I don't know, like, and this is a little bit beyond just the sort of sites you're looking at, but um, you know, the, there's a, a relatively popular local mall here um in minneapolis and they're breaking that thing up left and right and finding all of these outlots for all of these different restaurants all around the mall that they never would have thought of very long in fact sometimes taking parking they're you know eliminating parking in some cases and stuff like that they're fitting a shake shack and a a portillo's like just the number of restaurants freestanding restaurants now surrounding this is is actually quite interesting and i guess what's happening in real estate is any is that it seems to me that real estate companies are finding any way humanly possible to create new drive-through sites that's my perception of it at least so that's what that's worth no i think what you described is an important visual and and you know a mall may be the most exaggerated example knowing that they were already on the decline for many years before covid um, but I think the creativity that's needed today, it's a different skill set in the real estate space for sure. And again, because we uh, are consistent in our build, uh, we can look and be pretty consistent in what we go and, and find out there. And um, and I think people are understanding the drive through kiosk more brokers, et cetera, than, than perhaps they did before COVID. Mm-hmm. So you, you spent some time at Jamba. Right. And then so you have a pretty decent perspective, I mean, uh, on the on the beverage business, because in my thing, like as we referred to earlier, I don't know of a single I think the beverage business is completely is is undergoing almost a, a complete sea change. You've got you've got the drive through concepts like yours that are are really exploding and then existing brands even like caribou for instance up Mm -hmm. in minneapolis they're they're building drive-through sites left and right so you see existing concepts that are saying all right we're going rapidly in the drive-through um but then you also have like what's going on inside at this and so we have cold beverages that are taking off and now you've got drive-through uh you've got drive-through customized soda concepts that are popping up You've get, now got a generation of bubble tea concepts that are starting. Right. You have more kind. I haven't talked about uh, smoothies or juice chains or anything like that that you have. Mm-hmm. It, it, the, the amount of competition, your competition, I would imagine for at scooters, is not just Starbucks anymore. You've got to com- You've got all of these different companies that you're competing with, and it's just undergoing a complete metamorphosis. It really is. And I'll throw in one more component. When we were doing much of our research years ago, what we found, and, and I even had my own sample size of three adult children, that they almost exclusively drink water. That you actually have a segment of the population, younger population, that's completely opted out altogether out of all of the options that you just mentioned. So what is that worth and how do you attract that population back in? It probably has to be healthy, low in calorie, low in sugar for them to to want to entertain it. But to your point, we've definitely seen the seismic shift to cold beverages. 
you know, whether you want to argue it's weather related and global <laughs> warming and, and all sorts of reasons, but obviously the offerings have become much more uh, complex and, and vast. And we'll figure out our pattern inside of that. It is interesting, though, and we say this with humility, Jonathan, we don't really spend a lot of time thinking about who the competition is. Uh, we do want to build offerings and build loyalty where people may want to get out of someone else's line and get into our drive through line. And we believe we do that through making it easy with the best real estate that we do it with speed of service, which builds loyalty. And you can build loyalty, you know, 15, 30 seconds at a time. You do it rocket fast and they feel good about it. And they'll come back on Tuesday and they'll come back on Wednesday. And that's where we feel strongly about our model. But that also means not complicating your business. And that is, again, one of the uh, challenges as people continue to grow is adding complexity. Yeah, right. So now you have some food on your menu and you do have kind of, I'm just looking up your menu here. Uh, but you have some food on your menu, but you, your your goal is to kind of keep things a little bit more focused, yes? It is, and we want to give people what they want. Um, you know, obviously, um, Scooters has legacy beverages like Carmelicious, which is fantastic, and people love that, and it's a, it's a big seller for us. But we recognize that all the things you mentioned, you know, energy drinks and cold beverages and blended beverages, those play a role. So we've continued and we've got a great marketing team that's evolved that over time. And at the end of the day, you know, our campaign that we have started to talk about is there's just something about Scooter's Coffee. Mm -hmm. And you can almost fill in the blank with that. Well, what is it? Well, I don't know. I just love going there. It's just, you know, the baristas are friendly or, or they're really fast or I love the drinks or it's close to my house, whatever that thing is. And so um, it's given us this license to innovate. But again, be disciplined about how we do that. Mm -hmm. How are your uh, energy drinks doing? I know you got some Red Bull, uh, Red, Red Bull beverages on your on your menu. Yeah, we've had great success with those. We know that the afternoon is is kind of the next evolution when you build a coffee business. Um, doesn't matter who you are. You know the morning is what drives your business. Uh, but what's the secondary play? Well, it's the afternoons. Now, the third would be the evenings, but most of us have found over the years that's a real hard sell. But the afternoons are definitely in play. And so uh, we've had really good success with, with energy with Red Bull. Right. Yeah. The kids love the energy drinks. I don't understand it. Apparently I'm too old, but, um, you know, I've given up trying to understand some of the things that, that they're putting in their mouth with these energy drinks. It doesn't, that's right. but you know, it, it's, a, it's, it, it's just an exploding market for, 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 for that, for sure. Yeah. 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 Super. Uh, Joel, this was fantastic. Really appreciate you joining me this week on the podcast. Loved it. Thank you, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for the time. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which was edited, as always, by Kimi Kaczmarek, artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. This episode is supported by Bento Box and Clover. There's no doubt that running a restaurant is a lot of hard work. 
Fortunately, Bento Box and Clover are now working together to provide restaurants with the technology they need. Bento Box is an all-in-one platform for websites, online ordering, and marketing tools, while Clover provides world-class point-of-sale and payment solutions. Integrating the two helps restaurants streamline operations and deliver an even better guest experience. Bento Box and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com forward slash better for more info.